When a gospel worker named Steve went to the mission field, he didn't realize how much time he'd have to stay on his knees. When we first went into the ministry, I have to tell you the truth, I wasn't big on praying. But once he got to Southeast Asia, he realized how much he needed to seek God's protection from spiritual attack. We are surrounded by spirit worshipers because this tribal group that live near us, they are strong in spirit worship. Their spirit priests are calling the spirits to come down and be with them. Judged on our experiences, those spirits are answering those calls. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, I've got a special blessing today. About two years ago, I was in Southeast Asia, and I met a couple that is doing gospel work in that part of the world. As I recall, we uh, had mango smoothies at the uh, little coffee shop where we met together. Their story really inspired me. In fact, it became a part of the talk that I give at VOM conferences for the last year, sharing their story about how God called them to Southeast Asia, the work that they're doing now, and how God is using them in ways that if you'd asked them 15 years ago, they would have said, no way, that could never happen. But God has done some amazing things. We're going to call them Steve and Mai today. They're among the, the people that we interview who we need to protect their identities. So we're going to call them Steve and Mai. Steve and Mai, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mai, first I want to talk to you because I know one of the things I, I clearly remember you saying is you left Southeast Asia as a young girl, left really as a refugee, What did you think about going back to Southeast Asia? My family have 12 of us swim across Mekong River to come to Thailand uh, and stay there at the camp, uh, refugee camp, for over two years. So your family fled by swimming across the river. And I've seen that river. It's not a short swim. It's a mile wide. So after fleeing across the river and then being in a refugee camp for two years, I can completely understand why when you got on the plane, you said, I'm not coming back here. No. So Steve, tell us about how you met Mai and how God brought you guys together. And then, you know, what your life was like here in America. Of course, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, from a small town in the... uh, foothills of the Cascade Mountains. I was a 17-year-old high school student. I had never been around very close to an Asian person in my life. A small town, USA. One of our church members had come up with the idea of sponsoring this uh, family from refugee camps. At first, uh, they came and I'd heard the news, but I hadn't thought of contact with them or anything. I was busy being a 17-year-old high school student. (laughs) So... And my father, he contacted them and had contact with them, and he just fell in love with them, and he kept bugging me, go see the go see the refugees. And finally, uh, I did. I went up there to see them, and uh, when I saw my, it was pretty much all over for me, but <laughs> n- not all over for her. Love at first sight on your <laughs> side of the equation. Yeah, but not so much on—it took a lot of work. <laughs> so you met— 
you're 17, you guys get married, you're really kind of living the American dream. You you have a business, you're, you have a job. How many years was it from that time until God started to say, hey, I've got some work for you to do on the other side of the world? It was about 25 years before uh, we answered the Lord's call. We owned and operated a towing business, towing and auto repair, and we were going to church. And I was witnessing some through the towing business. Uh, the stress, the pressure, seeing what I saw, the accidents, the tragedies, was all taking its toll. And the 24-7 work with uh, just me pretty much and then my son at the end, it was a bit much to bear. Uh, at the end there, I wasn't sleeping at nights. I was having horrible dreams, nightmares pretty much, and I didn't know where it was all coming from. I just pretty much had a breakdown spiritually, uh, emotionally, and pretty much physically from the workload. While I was working one of my trucks one day, I found myself just literally sinking down into the dirt in the driveway and cried out to the Lord and said, you know, I don't know what's going on, Lord. I don't know why my life is like this. I just know it's not like it's supposed to be. Lord, just take my life. Just do what you want with me because I'm just done. Within a couple of months, the the business was uh, sold and uh, we were praying for God for directions because we hadn't heard clearly where exactly he wanted us, but we just knew that that what the life we were living wasn't the life that he had for us. My, what do you remember about that time? How, how did how did your husband change, or, or what did you see in him as he went through this process of kind of saying, okay, Lord, what, whatever you want, that's what we want? I knew my, you know, God had already called me, but I was just um, waiting. I think God just is, is waiting for him, Steve, to surrender all to God, you know, to going to his uh, work there. Talk to me a little bit about how you came to the point of saying Southeast Asia. That's where we want to go. Uh, I know, Maya, as you were there, you had left there as a young girl and really had no desire to go back. So how did God start to say, hey, okay, this is where I want you to go. This is the country. These are the people that I want you to minister to. So I just don't want to go back there. I just don't, never dream of, would leave my my family, you know, my children and grandchildren to go back there. But I do know that's only God would have that power over me to send me back to where I swear never going back there. God have called us to to go back there and give us the peace and for the love the people he had made at March he had loved me. That's why um, we went back there. One of the parts of your story when we met before that I just loved is how you said, and, and you just said it again, that you you never planned to go back there. And, and sometimes when we tell God what we'll never do, he says, oh, yeah, wait, wait just a little while. I, I might I might have a plan for that. You also mentioned your, your children and your grandchildren. Was that the hardest part about making this transition is, is leaving children and grandchildren on one side of the ocean while you guys moved to a different side of the ocean? I think for both of us that's uh, most difficult by far. 
We have three girls and one boy, and the difficulty of not being there when they run into troubles. Uh, yeah, we're still in contact. Uh, we can still use the Internet and communicate. Oh. But the face-to-face -face contact, the hugs, just being there to help them through a difficult situation, uh, not being able to do that is really difficult for uh, for I believe for both of us. Yeah, Skype Skype is a wonderful thing, but it's not mm. the same as being there. <laughs> right. It is just not the same. As you made this transition, how did God kind of direct you into what you're doing now? As I remember, when you first got there, you had kind of one plan, and then God shifted things completely. Talk a little bit about how that process worked. We had plans to work with all tribal groups. We still were not focusing exactly on my wife's people group. But the Lord brought her people to us, and they started coming. It's a large people group, but less than 1% are believers, basically unreached. The, the ones that were believers, the Lord started bringing them to us, and slowly our focus changed to her people group. And then somebody asked us, we want to record some programs, they said. Some uh, we want to record some Bible stories in uh, in this in your people's group's language. It was another couple from the states that had been working with this people group for a while, and they said, "Is there somewhere on your property or your house that you can build a small recording studio or just something simple to uh, record these messages, these Christian messages?" And we didn't have to pray about it much. We were pretty much yes people when it comes to reaching her people with God's word. We said, yeah, we can do that. And a tow truck driver doesn't know a whole lot about building a recording studio. But God supplied uh, YouTube and the Internet and Google. I turned our carport into a small recording studio. I and some of the people from my wife's people group. This really is a sense, and I want people to grab a hold of this. When God opens a door and when he calls you to do something— He'll give you what you need to get the job done. And maybe it's just stick-to-itiveness to go on and figure stuff out, but he will open those doors. And that's one of the things that has stuck with me about Steve and my story is just, hey, we went online, we watched videos, we learned what we were doing, and, and now we're doing a radio program. Now we're recording these gospel work in this tribal language Another part of the story that has really struck out to me, Steve, is that you don't speak this language, <laughs> this this tribal language. Your wife speaks it. She's from that group. You don't, but you're editing shows. You're editing Bible stories recorded in a language that you don't even speak. Other than the great, by the grace of God, I can't tell you how I can even do that. God will make things work. <laughs> Talk about some of the challenges of building that studio, because I, as I recall, as you shared, when you had some radio people over, they they weren't necessarily impressed when they looked at the studio, but then when they listened, <laughs> they were impressed. We worked with the materials we had. Even the largest city, say, an hour from us, it doesn't have soundproofing materials. You're not going to and you're not going to order stuff off of Amazon or eBay. It's not going to show up the next day. And security-wise, you don't want to be doing that kind of thing. So in order to build the studio, we just had to become somewhat innovative, I guess you would say. You know, we use carpeting in some places for for the soundproofing. And uh, 
and simple types of foam and things. The equipment, most of it's off of eBay, but it does sound good. And I tell you, it's not because of my skill level, because I just, I don't know what I'm doing. The foolish things of the world is wisdom in God's eyes, and and the foolishness Mm -hmm. of God is wisdom in our eyes. What has happened since then, since you started recording these Bible stories? How has God used that, and how has God multiplied even the reach of that, literally not just in Southeast Asia, but around the world? We built the studio, and then they said, hey, we don't have anybody to do these recordings. Can you do them? You've already purchased the equipment. You seem to know something about it. So we started recording the people. And then they said, okay, well, how about we've been thinking about broadcasting on FEBC radio, shortwave radio, into this people group. And uh, how about you guys starting to do that? And again, we had no clue what we were getting into, what to do. But we started building radio programs. We had all these radio programs we were building, and then we got a hold of FEBC and said, well, we want to broadcast. And they said, well, uh, things have changed from the old days, and it costs a considerable amount of money to broadcast. Well, considerable for us anyway. So then we're like, well, we don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> so we start praying about that, and uh, we came right to the date when FEBC was going to start broadcasting. We were within a week, and... Uh, God used a large organization in uh, in the states to supply the needs monetarily, and we went on the air. Everything that has come up has come against us. God has just provided. I think that if God told me to start with, told us to start with, okay, this is I, what I want you to do for me. This is I want you to go to this place. I want you to build a recording studio. I want you to start a radio program to these people. I think that we would have said, God, we can't do that. We don't know how. We have no idea what we're doing. If we, You'd be sending the wrong people. The fact is that God, instead, he took it one step at a time. He got us there. Then he got us to build the studio. It was all in his plan. There has to be a commitment, though, on our parts also. It was God's plan, but we had to say yes to it. And I think there's such a lesson there for our listeners. You don't have to say yes to what God wants you to do five years from now. Say yes to what he wants you to do today and then tomorrow and then the next day and let him work out the long-term plans. We've never even been to college or school or had any training in using editing programs in publishing and the formatting of books. Uh, I would have to say right now if something comes at me that is something I do I know how to do that I've that I've known for years how to do. I'd have to say, you know, is that really God's will in my life? Because <laughs> everything he's thrown at us, they've been things that we have no clue how to do. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Steve and Mai. They are involved in ministry to a, a particular tribal group in Southeast Asia. If you want to know more about their ministry, you can go to their website. It's Ahead Hill Tribes. And we'll link you there from vomradio.net. Again, the website, aheadhilltribes.com. Go and find out more about what they are doing. Steve and Mai, how has VOM been a part of the work that you're doing? VOM has has been a wonderful partner. It came a time of need when uh, we really needed to remodel the little studio, and, and because of the 
increased uh, song work and such, and and they stepped up to the plate and uh, and helped us with that. Let's talk a little bit about how far your ministry is reaching now, because I know on FEBC there are, if I understand correctly, there are people from this tribal group in Laos and Vietnam and Thailand and China. What kind of feedback do you get, or how do you measure where your your message is reaching? This is a bit of a difficulty for us as as a radio program, as broadcasters into uh, restricted areas. It's not like the people can just pick up the phone and call us because phone calls are monitored often there, and uh, if they try to write us a letter, it's it's likely the letter will be read before it ever gets to us. So, so this is difficult. We have to rely on the Lord and have faith that that his word is reaching the people, and he actually says that my word will not return void. We are using, we are sending out uh, shortwave radios, uh, and the latest ones, uh, actually, Voice of the Martyrs, has supplied us with a, a new style that also has a mem- memory chip that helps we can put... Uh, audio materials on the memory chip, and even when our program's not on, they can listen to other, the other materials that we have loaded onto the chips. Every once in a while, we do get word from people that have been listening to our programs, and we do get some feedback, but it's it's usually face-to-face, somebody that has traveled out of the country that is in the safety of personal conversations. They can tell us what's going on, and we have heard of at least one family that has come to faith just by solely by listening to the programs. Wow. They got word to another, some other Christians and evangelists somehow. And and by word of mouth, uh, the evangelists in that area that served that area had heard about these people and went to see them so that they could actually uh, teach them more. Wow. Praise the Lord. As we kind of wind up, I want to ask first, what would you guys say to American Christians? And I think of people— just like you were a few years ago. You're in kind of the second half of life. Your kids are pretty much raised. What would you say to them about seeking God and seeking what he has for them that's maybe not in America? Maybe it's somewhere else on the planet. Maybe it's across town. Maybe it's across the country, but doing something for the kingdom in sort of the second half of their lives. I would say just do it. (laughs) Because I think that's been our theme for the whole time since God came into our lives in such a huge way. We're not extraordinary people. When we face persecution, which we do, we're scared just like anybody else. We pray about it. uh, God help us. And God will lead you through these times. But I would say there's a lot of people out there that actually feel the call of God in their lives. And a lot of people tell us, they say, you know, we would love to do what you're doing, but we just can't. Well, I'm sorry, but you can. You can do this. And then there's other people saying, well, I got to get my life right first. I can't do anything like that because I have these problems in my life and I'm just not good enough. Well, the fact is that I had all those problems too. My and I both did. And we weren't good enough, and we never will be good enough. It is by God's grace that we're doing what we're doing, and that's all there is to it. I would say if you're going to wait until you are good enough to serve God, it's not going to happen. That's why we need Christ in our lives. 
you mentioned that that you have faced persecution. Talk a little bit more about that. What what are the challenges that are directly related to the work that you're doing? Because as we mentioned, you're working, you're broadcasting into communist countries, places that are close to the gospel. What does persecution look like in your ministry? Well, we work personally with people that have suffered persecution. When we're sitting down at training sessions and with some of our people group that we work with next to us, we're looking down the table at people that have been in jail for explaining to their relatives the meaning of a Christmas tree and what Christmas is really about. We're looking down the table and we're seeing somebody else who has lost a loved one who was uh, actively ministering. Uh, we have been in towns where Mai has asked the people about uh, Christians in the area and had people tell her, you don't talk about those things in this town because people will cut your throat. We've seen it uh, personally. We have to disguise the voices of our of our people in the broadcasts, and that's a huge responsibility for me. I don't take that lightly at all because it is always on my mind. If I don't do a good enough job uh, masking this voice, then it's quite possible that this person is is going to have something very, very bad happen to them. That is a that is a heavy responsibility. We've had a few guests on VOM Radio that we had to do that, and I feel the same way. It's like, oh Lord, help me to help me to change this so that they can still be understood, but so they can't be identified. That is just an example of of the challenge that you guys face, and. As we finish, one of the things we always try to do is equip our listeners to pray. So I want you to talk a little bit about how do we pray for Southeast Asia and for the tribal group that you're working with, but then also how do we pray for you? How do we pray for the ministry that you're doing? When we first went into the ministry, I have to tell you the truth, I wasn't big on praying. The spiritual side of it, especially spiritual attacks, I was I was really naive and ignorant. And one of the biggest things I could say, one of the biggest prayer issues that we have would be against those spiritual attacks. We are surrounded by spirit worshipers because this tribal group and the people even that aren't from this tribal group that live near us and in this in these countries, they they are strong in spirit worship. Their spirit priests are calling the spirits to come down and be with them. I would have to say that judged on our experiences, those spirits are answering those calls. Wow. So I would say one of the biggest things that we face personally is uh, we would really appreciate prayer for us and for the believers in our in our people group that we work with to stay strong spiritually, to pray against these attacks that come. As far as the countries go and the areas we're in, uh, they're always in political upheaval. The governments uh, seem to be fairly unstable, to say the least. We have seen uh, persecution seems to run in waves, and and when there's more believers, there becomes more persecution. It becomes stronger. We would like to ask, pray for those persecuted Christians, because, you know, the fact is that Maya and I being there is only part of the equation. We are there to help these people reach their own people. Also, that the people of this people group that do become believers, we would 
we would like to ask for prayer for strength for them because once they become a believer, it's a given that not only the government is going to turn against them for believing in Jesus, but 99.9% of the time, family and friends are going to turn against them also. When that happens, some of them will uh, return to the spirit worship. and They just can't handle being cut off from family and, and village and community. Everybody they know just in many cases, turn against them. Wow. So that's a high price to pay. It is. And then the other, <laughs> that we would be able to keep keep up with the new challenges that the Lord puts in <laughs> front of us. Uh, we're not getting any younger, and and that we wouldn't come to a point where we wouldn't consider new challenges. I think that we have seen some great examples of this in here in America, the the different people that we talk with that have been in ministry or missions for years and years that to the day that we go with and be with the Lord that we are still open to new challenges from him. Amen. That's something that we want to communicate every week to our listeners is a new challenge because I think God is always calling us deeper. He's calling us into more of his work, more of him. Maya, as I remember when we met uh, couple years ago, the place where you live now is not very far from the place where you were in a refugee camp. Yeah. Is oh, that right? Yes, it Just is. Just a right. couple of miles? Yes. Only like a, is that three miles? About three yeah, miles. About, about three, three miles. miles from where your family was mm-hmm. a refugee, and then you came to America, decades go by, and then you're back just three miles away doing ministry spreading God's word back to your tribal group and your people. One of the things that Steve said to me as as we met two years ago uh, over those mango smoothies, Steve made the statement, listen, if God can use us, there's no limit to what he can do. If God can take a tow truck driver from the northwest part of America send him halfway around the world and produce radio programs in a language that he does not speak, mm-hmm. there's no limit to what God can do. So mm-hmm. I want to encourage our listeners, connect with Steve and my online, aheadhilltribes.com. We will link you there from vomradio.net. You can also listen to this interview again at vomradio.net. Share it with your Christian friends. Share it with other people who might be challenged by their story. Maybe somebody you know that that God's kind of starting to work on or call that that would be encouraged by this story of an American family that that heard God's call, went halfway around the world, and is doing some amazing work with amazing results. So I encourage you, come to vomradio.net, then link over to aheadhilltribes.com, support their work, Uh, encourage them, send them a note, let them know that you're praying for them and praying for the work that they're doing. Steve and Mai, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the example that you are for me and for other American Christians. And thanks for being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Oh, you're certainly welcome. It's been our pleasure. And uh, may God bless you all. To hear more stories like this one, visit us online at vomradio.net. At our website, you can hear every episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, every interview, every guest that we've had. You can listen to all of them online. Again, that website is vomradio.net. You know, maybe God's put an inkling in your heart to visit the mission field like Steve and Mai have done. 
Hearing more stories like theirs is one way for that passion for the nations to grow inside of you. So I want to encourage you to listen. We have had the privilege of interviewing missionaries from all over the world. And again, go to vomradio.net, listen to those interviews, listen to those conversations, and see how God uses that to build your heart for the nations. Next week, we're going to hear from a gospel worker named Dr. Sasson. He's going to explain why believers in Iran can rejoice even as they suffer for the gospel. Come back and join us next week to hear more about Iran on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.